as you saw earlier, uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent, uh, and with that, we also begin a new series that we're going to be working through over the next few weeks, and, and in this series, my hope is that uh, we will focus our hearts on really three things that we're able to encounter in the Christmas story and season. The waiting, the wonder, and the welcome of Christmas. And this week we're going to start out by looking at what I'm sure is everyone's favorite pastime, waiting. <laughs> the waiting of Christmas. Uh, this past weekend was likely filled with some waiting for you, whether you were waiting for the turkey to be done, whether you're waiting for the opportunity to take a nap after you had the turkey, uh, maybe you're camped out in front of a store or in front of your computer monitor or on your phone waiting for the opportunity to spend money you don't have on things that you don't need. Uh, or maybe you're like me and you're just waiting for the college football season to be done so you don't have to suffer anymore. <laughs> waiting is inevitable. Now, I'm not good at waiting. Uh, in fact, I think I, I have gotten worse at waiting as I've gotten older as well. I told Aaron yesterday that patience is one of those spiritual fruits that hasn't quite ripened yet in my life. And uh, it, it, it just seems that, that whether I'm waiting for an appointment or waiting in traffic or even waiting for food to get done, all of these things, all of this waiting has this effect on my temperament. Now, somehow I don't think I'm alone in this. I have a sneaking suspicion that not many here embrace the waiting process every time all that well. Quick quiz on whether you're good or bad at waiting. And you can raise your hand if you want to be identified. If you just want to keep this secret to yourself, that's fine as well. You can live with that. All right, we'll deal with it later. But quick quiz. If you are bad at waiting or good at waiting, do you? move from one checkout line to another at the grocery store because one line looks like it's shorter than the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And then you get in that line and you realize the one you were in actually moved faster, right? Yes, okay. How many of you count the cars in front of you when you're coming up to a traffic light and get into the lane with the fewest or the lane that seems to be going the fastest? Okay. Or when you actually pull up to a stoplight because you haven't been able to go through it uh, or the checkout line that you're in, you automatically pull out your phone and you start checking messages or scrolling through your feed just because you don't have to really endure that waiting with, uh, without something to do. Oh, only one. Yeah, okay. All right, so we will deal with other things later. You know, even in the midst of doing something fun, we are often impatient. Uh, a long line at an amusement park, and we're not sure if it's worth the wait. In fact, Disney and Universal cashed in on this, right? Because now they'll sell you a $30 fast pass on top of your $1,000 ticket into the park just so you don't have to wait too long for, for one of the rides, right? And it's still like 40 minutes to get in one of those rides. Turns out it's not a small world. We are a people who are quickly 
ready to get done with waiting and move on to the very next thing. We don't always wait very well. Yet waiting is a part of life. Regardless of whether it feels easy or hard at the moment, how we wait shapes us. It has this power to shape who we are and who we become. And as we begin our journey toward Christmas on this first Sunday of Advent, this season beckons us to reorient our hearts. It it is a season that invites us, because of the promise attached, to, to embrace the idea of hopeful waiting. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we come across two figures that we're going to be looking at this morning, which I believe embody the whole idea of waiting well. Uh, they aren't typically characters who show up on, uh, in, in nativity scenes or on many of the Christmas cards that we send out or any of the, the plays that we perform, but they are significant players in the first Christmas pageant, and they make their appearance in the final acts of the Christmas drama. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We heard about Simeon a little bit earlier, and we we encounter them in the second chapter of Luke. In fact, the scripture that we'll see them in is in the insert in your bulletin, if you got that. It's also going to be up on the screens in some places, uh, or or some bits of it is going to be up on the screen, and there are Bibles in front of you if you'd like to look at it there. But Simeon and Anna, that we encounter them in the second chapter of Luke. And as we do, we find that both of them have been waiting for something, or rather waiting for someone. And as we read this account from Luke, we we see this because there is this wording here of anticipation that is used. Uh, As we read in verse 25, we see that Simeon was waiting. Or in verse uh, 38, that Anna and others were looking forward to something. And the same Greek word is used here to signify that they were waiting with with anticipation and expectation. Uh, Last summer, we we went to California uh, to visit Aaron's family. And and I flew home a week or so earlier than Aaron and the kids. And uh, so I could get back to work. And I I don't do well when I don't have Aaron and the kids around. I mean, I'm good for like a day or so, but then I've had all the Cheetos and Dr. Pepper that I can consume. The house is a wreck, you know, and that's about all I've had. Um, And I just like having them around. Uh, I enjoy their presence. And so um, when they flew home, I went to pick them up at the airport, and I was so excited to see them. I was so ready for them to be home. And there was this anticipation that I had to have them home. And, and Aaron, when I was talking to her on the phone before they flew out, she said, you know, just, just pull outside of baggage claim, and we'll, we'll come out. You know, I'll message you when we get there. We'll come out of baggage claim. You don't have to come in. You don't have to park or everything. But I wasn't having that. Like, they were coming home. I was excited for this. And I, and I figured I'd have a little bit of fun with it, too. So I dressed up like a chauffeur. I put on a suit and a tie, and I printed out this sign that said Strickland on it, right? And I slicked back my hair. And I was like, and I park, I got there early, and I was waiting for them as they came down the escalator, you know? And, and, and as I was standing there, all I could see was their legs start getting bigger and bigger as they came down the escalator. And then they started seeing the same thing as they were coming down there. And the look on their faces was priceless as they saw me there waiting with this sign. And the kids, as soon as they could get off the escalator, they busted out and, and, and ran toward me and, and, and jumped into my arms. And I had... 
I had this feeling as well that, of this, this anticipation that had, had finally been, been consummated, and, and they were there with me. I'd been living with this ante- anticipation of them coming home. Maybe you've experienced a moment like that or a time like that in your life as well. Again, as we read this account from Luke, there's this wording here used of that anticipation. But uh, with these two figures, Simeon and Anna, they're not merely waiting with that expectation for a family member who's been gone for a week. They are waiting for the promised Messiah. They're waiting for the one who had been prophesied of for hundreds and hundreds of years and for whom they and so many had been waiting for in hopeful expectation. And so with our time this morning, we're going to look at this account from Luke of Simeon and Anna, these two well-waiters, and see what we can pull from each of these accounts and apply to our lives. Now we're introduced to the first character, uh, Simeon, in Luke 2.25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Can we just pray for a second? God, I want to get this right. This is your word. morning this is your message we're your people Lord open up our hearts to what you have for us not what's written on nice papers but what you have what you want us to hear Lord we thank you that you are here with us in this moment speak to us Um, so Simeon, we, uh, we're introduced to him in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, things weren't going really well for Israel. Uh, they hadn't heard from God for, for many years, and uh, they were under a Roman rule, They had lost their political independence, and they're living in fear of their ruler, King Herod, who we know as generally a not-nice guy, right? He was cruel, and he was crafty, and and, and for generations, the people of God had been waiting and, and, and expecting a Messiah, a Savior to come. And at this time, many were, were wondering if the Messiah would ever truly come. But as we read in in chapter 2, verse 26 shows us that that Simeon, he has good reason to believe that he would come and to live in a state of hope and anticipation because it says in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon's expectation focused on the consolation or maybe even better phrased the comfort or the rescue that Christ would bring. Among the Jews of Simeon's day, one of the popular titles of Messiah was comforter. 
like, like some of the Christmas songs we sing have that wording, and they were longing for this Messiah to come and bring this comfort to them. I, Isaiah 40, which is a deeply prophetic passage, it starts off like this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. The nation of Israel was waiting for God's comfort, expecting that he would come rescue them and bring that to them just as he had had rescued them in delivering them from slavery and and bringing them out of Egypt hundreds of years before you know it strikes me though that even apart from Simeon and uh, and the Israelites the desire for consolation or to be comforted is a universal human thing right we all struggle at times with loneliness emptiness, insecurity, even desperation. In fact, even one of the most, uh, the the largest, most major crisis times as far as as depression and struggles with mental health is the Christmas season, you know? And if that's you, if that's where you're at right now, uh, and and even afterwards, it doubles, I think, uh, I was looking at the numbers, it doubles rates of depression and, and and, and struggles, they double after the Christmas season. Now, if that's you right now, if you're in a place where you're struggling, please talk to somebody. Don't let it go, all right? Just talk to someone, okay? But, but we have this desire in us, and at times it's stronger than others, this desire to be comforted and consoled. There is in our, our hearts this longing for consolation and, and the rescue that we so desperately need. And we see here that Simeon, that he was waiting for this consolation. He was waiting for this comfort that could only come from the promised Messiah. Now, we, we don't know how long it's been since Simeon has heard that he's going to see the Messiah and, and how long he's been waiting for this to happen. But as we look here in the text, we see that he is prompted here by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple courts at just the right time, on just the right day, that Joseph and Mary were being, bringing Jesus into the temple. Now, Mary and Joseph, they were doing what was required of them as devout Jews. According to the law, Mary had to undergo this time of purification after giving birth. And honestly, because of the way that she had given birth in a stable, it was possible that that Joseph was involved in the delivery as well, and he needed to be purified. And that's why in some of the manuscripts, it actually says there, it was time for their uh, purification. And so, uh, so it's very possible that that, is going on and along with the purification they're also bringing Jesus to be presented as their firstborn because according to every uh, the the, uh, the the law every firstborn male was to be d- dedicated or consecrated to the Lord and so here they are in the temple and the holy spirit has guided Simeon uh, here as well and as soon as he looked at the baby Jesus who would have been about 6 weeks old he knew God's promise had been kept. Here was Emmanuel, God with us. Here was the consolation. Here was the comfort come to make everything right. Verse 28 says that Simeon reached down and he took Jesus out of Mary's arms and began to praise God. 
Now, just a side note here. I'm not sure how Mary and Joseph reacted, but as a parent, this would likely freak me out a little bit, okay? Like, I'm just, uh, you know, let's just get that out because some of you are thinking it. I mean, old guy comes up, you've never met him before, and he takes your baby boy in his arms and starts singing out, right? But apparently, Mary and Joe were kind of used to this thing after the angels and the shepherds and that whole virgin birth stuff, right? They're kind of used to things like this happening, okay? But Simeon, he takes Jesus into his arms and he breaks into praise. And in this, he acknowledges that that, that God has not only fulfilled his individual promise to him, that he would see the Savior, but also the promises of the prophets to send the anointed one to console and to comfort both Jews and Gentiles. Sovereign Lord, he says in verse 29, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. To see has come, the one I've been waiting for, the one that we've been waiting for, has come. Now the other person that we see waiting in this passage in faithful anticipation is Anna. She was, uh, as Scripture tells us, the daughter of Penuel, which I'm not sure who he is. I just know that he's from the tribe of Asher because the Bible tells us that he's from the tribe of Asher. And her name, Anna, she shares with Hannah from the Old Testament. It means favor or grace, which we we absolutely see that uh, lived out in this passage. Now, Anna is unique because she's the only named prophetess in the New Testament. We read in Acts of Philip's four daughters who were prophets, but they never get names from Luke. But for some reason, Luke makes sure that we catch Anna's name. And also that we get a few more details about her life as well. The text tells us that Anna was married for seven years and then widowed. But then there's a little bit of ambiguity depending on which translation you read. It's a toss-up as to whether her widowhood lasted for 84 years or she's 84 years old when she crosses our path here. We're looking at the NIV, which says that she's 84 years old, but there's a footnote in every translation that I've read that says, or she was a widow for 84 years or she was 84 years old. If it's the former, if she was widowed for 84 years, she could well be 105 years old at this point. Uh, Some scholars, they figure it this way, that Anna married at around age 13 or 14, which evidently was a common age at the time. I don't recommend that now. But that she would have married at 13 or 14 and was widowed at age 21. And then she meets Mary, Joseph, and Jesus 84 years later at age 105. And then the other way is that she's just 85 years old when she meets them. Either way you figure it, she has seen many years of her life prior to this point. After her husband died, uh, she uh, had dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple. In fact, the Bible says that she never left the temple, but she worshipped day and night. She was always at church. I think our kids feel like we're the same way. (laughs) Um, She was looking forward to the same person that Simeon was was looking forward to. But, but, But Anna had this different orientation slightly. You know, instead of focusing on comfort, Anna's waiting really points towards redemption or forgiveness 
Take a look at verse 38. It says, coming up to them at that moment, she gave, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now again, this word redemption, it's related to the idea of captivity. The Old Testament Passover and the release of, of Israel from Egyptian slavery stood in Anna's day as the ultimate redemption and the symbol of God's power to release captives. And ultimately, Passover pointed ahead to the day that God would provide deliverance from the slavery of sin. And the people had been waiting, and waiting, and waiting for that day. So here, Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple with baby Jesus. And as Simeon has taken him and cradled him in his arms, praising God, Anna enters and immediately recognizes Jesus as the long-awaited Savior, the long-hoped-for Redeemer, the one that she and so many had been waiting for. And she begins thanking God and telling everyone about him. The Redeemer had come. The Redeemer's come. The prophecies were being fulfilled. Here at last was the one who would save his people from their sins. Their season of waiting was done. It was done. You know, living on this side of Christmas, it's hard for us all to grasp all of the years of waiting and uncertainty, of the patient endurance of those like Simeon and Anna who were sustained throughout their lives only by faith in the one who was promised, not the one who had already come. It was a promise that had not been fulfilled. And that was the, the, the faith in that promise is what sustained them. Yet, at the same time, as we find ourselves in the midst of this season of Advent, Scripture provides us this opportunity to be reminded of, of how this waiting was not in vain, of, of how they were waiting faithfully on a God who kept His promise, and, 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 and a God who still does and always does. And if we allow it to, this season, the season of Advent, can truly serve as a reminder to us of God's faithfulness to His waiting people. And we are a waiting people. You know, I said it earlier, you and I, like, like Simeon and Anna, we're waiting for the Lord to come. We live in between the first and the second Advent. You know, Jesus has come, and He's going to come again. And in the midst of that, we wait wait for him to come again only our waiting is a little bit different from that of Simeon and Anna because while we wait we have the presence of God right here with us you know we have his word we have Jesus revealed in scripture and and and, and through the Holy Spirit which dwells in, in in you and I as followers of Christ we have the presence of God right here with us as we wait you ever notice that when you're waiting for something, it's a lot easier when somebody's waiting with you, right? It's a little less miserable. Whether it's an appointment or in traffic or wherever, 
having a friend with you as you wait makes waiting just a little bit easier. Hmm. Friday night, we, uh, we went out and got a Christmas tree. Um, and our kids were so excited. They were just pumped from like the, the mo- moment we mentioned tree. They were, you know, they were just on it. But by the time we got home with it, it, it was too late to do anything uh, with decorations. We got home, and it was like 8 o'clock or something. It was time for them to, to go to bed. And so, so we all, you know, just, we just sat in the living room, nothing on it, no lights, no nothing. It's just sitting there. And then we all uh, ended up going to bed, and then we slept in a little bit on Saturday morning, yesterday morning. And, uh, uh, well, not all of us slept in. <laughs> Most of us slept in except for our daughter, Anna. Uh, she came in just as we were waking up and starting to talk a little bit, and she came into our room and she said, did you know it's 8.01? <laughs> I've been waiting for everybody to wake up so we can decorate the tree. I said, well, well Bear, how long have you been waiting? She's like, for like an hour, and I'm so bored. <laughs> now here's the thing. We all got up at that point, and it, and we didn't decorate the tree right off the bat. We went and we had my coffee. We had our devotions on the back porch. We had breakfast. And then the decorating started happening. And she was fine during that whole time. Because she had somebody who was waiting alongside of her. She wasn't alone there waiting. And, 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 and we, just the same, we're not hopelessly waiting alone in this world for the coming of Christ. And instead, our faithful God is with us in the wait. God with us, Emmanuel. He is with you and he's with me. But yet, we are still in the season of waiting. And we, like Simeon and Anna, we're we're waiting with different orientations and, 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 and directions of the heart. Let me ask you a question. What are you waiting for this Christmas? What are you waiting for? You, any of you identify with the waiting of Simeon? You're, you're waiting for consolation. You're waiting for comfort. Some of you are, are hurting right now, whether you're showing it or not. Some of you are in a place of hurt right now. You feel lonely. You feel empty. And you feel afraid. And you feel maxed out already. And it's only December 1st. Right? Some of you are in that place already. You need some comfort. You need consolation. Do you need a fresh sense of God's presence in your life? Is that where you're at? Is that what you're waiting for? Or you, do you identify more with Anna, of awaiting God's forgiveness? You know, are you in a place where your heart is plagued with guilt because of something you've done, or 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 the way that you've been living? Do you feel like you are trapped in a pattern of sin that you can't break out of? There are hurt that you've brought into someone's life or that someone else has brought into your life. And forgiveness is just seems like something you just can't grab hold of. If that's you, either one of those, or no matter what you're waiting for, the good news is that the one that you've been waiting for has come. He has come. God has come, and He is a God of comfort, and He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of mercy, and He is a God of healing. He is a, he's a God of grace, 
He's a God who welcomes us. Who welcomes us in our waiting and, 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 and stays there alongside of us. And He invites us to bring those things. He invites you to bring those things that you're waiting on, no matter what it is, to Him. And wait with Him. There's something that I, I, I want to make sure that, that I, um, I leave us with this, this morning um, out of the stories of Simeon and Anna, something that they both had in common, which I believe sustained them in the waiting, and I believe it could do the same for, for you and I as well, and that is worship. Remember the text says that Simeon was righteous and devout, and he praised God when he took Jesus in his arms. He was a worshiper was a worshiper. And, and Anna, she had given her life to be in the temple day and night praying and fasting, worshiping God. She was a worshiper. Now again, regardless of, of whether your waiting feels easy or hard at the moment, how you wait is shaping who you become. And worship is essential to that wait because a Christ-oriented perspective helps us to persevere with patience and hope no matter what we're waiting for. Because we've put our hope in the right place. We've put our hope in the right one. And so no matter what we're waiting for, that Christ-oriented, that Christ-centered perspective, that worshiping of who He is helps us in the waiting. In worship, we have this opportunity to, to catch a bigger vision of the, the, of the strong and kind heart of God, which prepares us for whatever it is that lies before us. And, and, and as we gather together as the, the body of Christ in, in corporate worship, as we turn our eyes heavenward, we wait together for the one we long for most, our God who brings salvation. And when all of our earthly waiting is done, we will worship the one who fulfills our expectations beyond what we can imagine. We're waiting for the one who's yet to come, but he's already come and he's already with beckons us. He beckons our hearts to come to Him and worship. And you know, that looks a lot, a lot of different ways in our lives. You know, obviously we worship in a lot of different, different ways, whether it's in our, our individual lives on a daily basis or as we gather together as the body of, of believers here on Sunday morning or at the different events that we have. And this is a, a great way as we sing or as we look at, at Scripture, as we, 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 we pronounce the Word of God, as we, as we pray together, as we spend time in fellowship one, one, with one another, we, we come together in worship and it has this, this, uh, this opportunity to, to, to change our orientation and to change what we're focused on while we're in the midst of these seasons of waiting in our life. And so worship is one of those things that we need to keep at the forefront of our mind and our heart no matter what we're waiting for.